Welcome back to another episode of Talking With Our Mouths Full. I'm Nightingale Nguyen. And I'm Michael Chan. Today we have a very, very special guest. So he is special. coming coming to us from Chester, England. He is the co-founder. Virtually. Virtually, of, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Since we are still in a pandemic. But he is the co-founder of the Isolation Film Festival, founder of the upcoming Hellbound Horror Festival, and host of the podcast, The Filmmakers. He is the gloriously bearded Alexander Blackburn. Hey, Alex. Woo! I'm doing well. How are you both doing? We Fantastic. are fabulous. Despite still being home. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's all it's all a bit crazy isn't it doesn't matter what phase this is in it's always always feels a bit crazy mm-hmm. now i i've seen some some stuff on the news about the pandemic in england but uh, tell us in your words how, how has it been uh i'll tell you on a personal level mm-hmm. uh, was it 12 and a half weeks ago something like that when it was it was a uh, lockdown here and i found it extremely difficult uh my partner, Vicky, my fiance, she works for the NHS, so the uh, care, you know, the care in the UK, and she works uh, practice. So she was always going to work, and she's she's vulnerable anyway in terms of her long term illnesses. So she was always going out to work, and I was at home, and I've got a very active job outside of you know this craziness being at home, mm-hmm. and I was I was in tears initially because I'm like I, I find it so restricting, and. I'm not completely a gregarious. I'm uh, a very friendly guy when it comes to work because I'm a photographer. You know, you've got to make people feel comfortable, that kind of thing. So when lockdown happened, I found it extremely difficult to cope. But since then, I've kind of flourished with what I do online, with the Mm -hmm. festivals, and it's given me a real focus. And there's a bit of an imbalance between working in the office and spending time with Vicky, but it's kind of we're trying to find the right balance for that now. So it's been been very difficult and it's a very confusing time. Like I spoke to a couple of my friends from Canada recently and the advice from the government, it's, it's a very similar thing here. Some of it I can forgive because no one's lived through something like this. Mm -hmm. When a country is supposed to survive and and create and make money uh, and then everything's taken away, it gets very confusing. The government advice is very confusing. So it is. that's where we're at as a country. But personally, I'm, I'm in a much better place now. Thankfully, I'm very lucky to still have my job throughout this time. And, and this focus I've got now is uh, I've been more creative over the last 12 weeks than I think I ever have been. It's, yep. it's, a, it's a very odd time. Like I, I've noticed like because we're all, you know, we're, we're artists and, and we need to create. So many artists have... Uh, because we are forced to have to come up with new ways to create that we've been way more creative than we normally are, which is a fantastic part of this. I think that, I think that was almost like a survival mechanism, you know, Mm -hmm. the creativity. I think even for people that don't make films, don't do uh, anything to do with audio or perform, I think creativity with your, with, with your partner when it comes to games or spending time around the household, like many countries around the world, people are doing gardening in a huge, like crazy way. Now everything's running out. People mm-hmm. are millions of people are on webcams or talking to their friends worldwide or like we are now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's, it, it is, uh, it's, it's, it's all new. It's all very new and you've got to, everyone has to learn to adapt because obviously going forward, at least for the next year or two, 
things aren't going to be the same. No way. It's, uh, I find it very difficult going to shops like a uh, um, hardware store. I went to the other day. I always wear a mask outside the house, no matter what. And everyone's just like yeah, nonchalant about it. They're not wearing their mask. They're keeping the distance. And then you get you get the wrong advice in the store, like their their rules, the discipline they have for, you know, keeping uh, people safe. It's just out of the window over the last couple of weeks or so. And I, I get very frustrated with that. And I I kind of my inner Hulk comes out. Has has your government, uh, I guess, mandated anything like usage of masks in certain situations or social distancing or anything? The, the funny thing is, a couple of weeks ago in London, two two of my friends who bought me this bottle of mezcal, uh, they they were using public transport. Chris was using public transport. He's a teacher, mm-hmm. and the week after, they were using masks, and you have to use it on public transport. But the week before. There wasn't any rules about that. Yeah. And it's just like the masks should have been from day one. Day one. I, I agree with you on that. Because we're having a similar situation. Uh, we just implemented mask usage as being mandatory on on our public transit here in Toronto. And they're moving towards making it so that you have to wear masks indoors in public spaces as well. Uh, and then there's a lot of pushback on that, which which I find very frustrating. But you're right. Like It should have been from the start. At least that way, it wouldn't have been as confusing and people potentially would have been more receptive to it. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think the frustration is born out of the the kind of fog that we're given the the uh, the not misinformation, but the lack of a clear message or clear structure to the message and the narrative. Mm-hmm. If they'd have said wear a mask, be in your house for twelve weeks, not martial law, but at least be you know be careful about it. It's and it's just all over the place all over the place. And it's just like that now as it was the first week. Yeah. Well, if we just think about it, it's our first ever pandemic. So it is exactly. a very confusing time for everyone. So it's like, we just, we should just try to show some compassion and just understand that like no one knows how to handle it. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I do have a, a certain amount of uh, tolerance for government uh, in terms of making those mistakes. I really do. But you can't just jump on someone's back for making those mistakes straight away. You've right. got to give. You've got to give. No matter who you who you vote for, who you kind of believe in, you've got to give people these the time. And you can see, uh, depending on uh, who you know, the news you look at, some people have made severe mistakes, and the misinformation's terrible. Mm-hmm. And that's why I don't watch. I don't watch anything kind of political online or anything like that because it's it's so exhausting. Life's so exhausting anyway. It is. Why? Why? Uh, why give yourself that extra stress? No, exactly. So on a more positive note, uh, when, when you go out, what, what kind of mask do you wear? Like, do you wear something that is fabric and uh, has a pattern or do you wear a disposable mask? Uh, well, it's, it's seen as disposable, but you can use it uh, at least three or four times. I, I get them from my partner, Vicky. She works for the NHS. So it's kind of a medical grade where you can bend it in around your nose. Oh, yep. Most of the masks I have, because I wear glasses, they just steam up. And, you know, if you don't wear, especially if you don't wear them properly. So um, it's, yeah, I, I kind of would believe in the disposable unless you're going to wash them at home. Yeah. If you, don't, if you don't wash them, keep them clean, you're kind of defeating the point. Yeah. So I'm going to show you the mask I wear. 
it is there's a few hacks online where it helps you find a way to like remove the steam from the glasses because i have a few friends who have wear glasses too and there's like a hack where you're supposed to put tape or there's a few different ones online where you're supposed to put tape inside so then it kind of absorbs yeah and i i do wear glasses so i totally understand and uh but i do wear this this is my (laughs) leopard print mask made by lelando mitchell that you can get online for ten dollars from him uh he's a local artist uh amazing at creating uh and, and making costumes so he made this one it's fantastic look at that People uh, stare at me. They get confused as over why I have leopard prints on me. <laughs> Nightingale, what are you wearing? What are you? What are you showing off over there? Oh, there's like little sheep on my mask, and I got this a long time ago from Vietnam. So it's like a cloth one, fully reusable. There's also like a filter, and there's oh, a mesh fantastic. here. So yeah, that looks yeah, great. Le- that looks yeah. like the perfect mask. Yeah, yeah and I can also one. sew my own as well because I have a sewing machine and I just use like my old clothes that I plan on donating instead of buying like fabric and then I just make my own. Yeah, superb. I actually have the, because I used to cosplay, so I know how to sew and I could have made my own. It's just, uh, you know, like a lot of artists have lost their jobs. So I decided to try to support local and, you know, I actually, this isn't the only mask I have. I have a few that are from different artists uh, just because I want to support them and, and help them out during this difficult time. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I've, I've, got to say, I've got to say, Michael, your mask looks like women's underwear. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. That's great. But but let's be honest here. I mean, I, I can totally pull off wearing leopard print underwear, and I'm a man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just gave you a Look terrible image. the new George of the Jungle, starring Michael Chan. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, oh, my God. Uh, what I look forward to you being george of the jungle is this is this going to be one of those meme things you're you're going to take a like we're going to take a photo of me and in, 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 in like yep. a leopard print thong and put it on the the talking with our mouthful instagram and then put like word bubbles around me or something yeah, yeah absolutely yeah okay you said it not me <laughs> yeah but you're the one who's gonna do it anyways <laughs> um so what's the food situation like? <laughs> what's, the, what's the food situation? <laughs> changing, changing gears completely. So uh, Vicky and I, my partner, uh, we met uh, five and a half years ago. I should know that. It's yeah. I think six years in November 14th. And she's Indian, like a, Wel- a Windian, a Welsh Indian. And I've, uh, I've traveled quite a bit uh, before I met Vicky and I've experienced cultures and that that's the one of the greatest things you can have when you travel is, is food, especially mm-hmm. local food and embracing that culture. I think, I think uh, one of your previous guests, Katisha mentioned that and it's, it's so, so important because you can easily go on a trip somewhere to say, uh, even like Russia or Moscow, like I, I've been a few years ago and ignore the culture and have the local food, uh, kind of international food and ignore the local and that's the worst mistake you can make, especially if you want to kind of expand your horizons. Mm-hmm. So meeting Vicky was a blessing in many ways. She's an absolutely wonderful person and I love her to bits, but the, the Indian food is unreal. And it's not necessarily what Vicky and I are making or more Vicky than me. It's what her dad makes and he's a vegetarian and he makes the best uh, meat-related food for other people as well. Mm-hmm. And my future mother-in-law, uh, Asha, she makes incredible food. And you get these little kind of silver Indian trays at events at the house, that kind of thing. It's 
spoil, really spoil. I feel so blessed in terms of food. So I never can, I've never complained about the food and I, I'm like almost too honest sometimes when it comes to food or something I don't like, I'll be, I'll be the best person to play poker against because you can read me <laughs> straight away. So uh, like I've got this, uh, this rice dish at the moment. And Whoa, what's in that? Uh, there's all sorts of spices and this is the thing I don't retain that information I need to because <laughs> out, of, out of respect I should know I should know uh, what I'm being given and how they made it and he spends uh, Vinod spends hours cooking and just to bring food around he's one of the most generous people I've ever met in my life mm-hmm. and yes yeah, so food wise I've been very lucky to kind of keep my kind of palate uh, entertained so to speak you know Mm-hmm. Well, that's good to hear. So something that you and I discussed on Instagram while we were setting up this episode was the fact that I had never had uh, dunked biscuits in tea before. I never, never done, done that. It. No, not once. And uh, since during the pandemic, we are trying new things all the time. Do I decided I decided to get biscuits. Can, and can I can I just hold you there? What biscuits do you have? I have. So I have arrowroot cookies. I, I do know that most people do uh, digestive biscuits. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm a huge fan of arrowroot, and I would assume they're dunkable. For our audience members who are listening, uh, I have a Doctor Who mug in honor of having a guest from the UK. All right, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna dunk my uh, my biscuit now. Okay, I'm gonna give it a shot. So Alex, which biscuits mm. do you use for your tea? Yeah, what do you use? This, this is a whole. This is a whole thing. My, so, my favorite biscuits are the ones that are chocolate covered with the caramel inside. Oh, oh. you all! I almost agree with you there. The chocolate digestives without the caramel. And They're good. The, the other trick is to put the chocolate to chocolate, and you double dunk two biscuits together. That's, oh man, that's the move. That's really. Yep, that is the move. So when I got home from the supermarket with my arrowroot cookies, my wife was yelling at me. She was like, why did you not get digestive cookies? I'm like, I don't know. She's like, okay, what were the options? And I started reading them out to her off memory. And she's like, wait, wait, they had chocolate digestive cookies. Yes. Yes. Why? Why didn't you get to them, Michael? Why? You better tell this Alex fellow that you screwed up. It's your fault. And that I... I had told you to get digestive cookies. <laughs> yes, Michael, I, I, you screwed up. Yeah. Thanks, Nightingale. Thanks for, agree, for, for agree, piling Nightingale. on. I agree. But these arrowroot cookies are so good. My favorite biscuit it hasn't got any chocolate on. It's the uh, hobnob oatmeal. Oatmeal hobnobs. Hobnobs. Oh. Because they have a curved edge, but on the back it's flat, so you put them back to back and then you dunk them. Hobnobs. Oh my god! Unreal. This is so good, man. I'm so glad you introduced. You would be more glad if you had a chocolate-covered digestive. Look, man, I love oh arrowroot cookies, and and just dunking them. It, it just—I never even thought of doing this. Like, <laughs> as as I told you, Alex, um, I'm like cookies and milk. I'm a cookies and milk kind of guy. Yeah, absolutely. But this, this is like a whole new level of dunking, man. Well, the the trick is not to dunk for too long because then you get the soggy biscuit inside mm. the cup, and that's that. And then you have to get a spoon, and then it's it's like, you know, it's terrible. Then, so 
there's a secondary reason why I decided to put biscuits in me at this point in our podcast. We have an upcoming PSA, ladies and gentlemen. Oh. Okay, there's some tea. Okay, I'm going to put this down. Okay. And that's because I'm about to day drink. That's right. Again. So, <laughs> again, yeah. Um, so today we are going to be featuring alcohol from Dylan's Small Batch Distillery or distillers. So today I have a bottle of unfiltered gin 22 as well as a bottle of strawberry gin. Now I normally like uh, my gin mixed of stuff like ginger ale or I like gin and tonics. Uh, but today I'm just going to, I'm going to try and drink it neat. Just, All right. Just to Michael. be, just to be So, um, Michael, do you by any chance have any indigestion issues or gout? No, no, I don't. (laughs) Are you you currently suffering from any ailments? No. Why? Because gin was originally used to be medicine. What? Yeah, it was distributed by chemists or apothecaries to treat ailments like gout or dyspepsia. So, yeah. I cannot I imagine. Like, are they are they thinking that like if they ingested alcohol, like really strong alcohol, it it somehow heal you? Maybe like it. Maybe it's because they saw people were being happy after. So then you know they it's thought there mis- was a cure. It's, it's misdirection, isn't it? <laughs> okay, I'm gonna pour some gin, unfiltered gin. Maybe you will feel enlightened and happy and well. <laughs> so, audience. The shot glass I am using today is a Tokyo Ghoul shot glass featuring a character from the anime Tokyo Ghoul. All right. Uh, well, let, let's right. see how I handle. <laughs> and, and what are you having, Alex, just before uh, we, we do this? Uh, Mont Alban uh, original Mexican uh, mezcal. Mm. Are you so an this, avid this... Uh, gin drinker? Uh, I've got a little bit of a story about gin as well, about drinking really expensive stuff and not realizing it. So this is my <laughs> bottle. Of, this is the mezcal bottle, and it has, the, has, the worm, has the worm in it as well. So um, you're not supposed to have that, but I, I think I'm going to end up when I finish the bottle to have the worm as well. So very interesting. I've got a very British uh, Dartmouth English gin. Oh, look at the it's bottle really on that! Nice bottle. So this is part of the Gin Club, which Vicky's sister Perva has kind of graciously bought us into for a year where you get different snacks and mixers and you get it sent out as a little care package. So every quarter you get a couple of bottles of different gin with uh, instructions on how to make new cocktails, new and old. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's been, it's been a really good experience with gin. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's good. And that, that, uh, that glass you're using, it's, it's really pretty. It's, it's blue and, or is that blue? No, it's green so green. it's green with a kind of gold uh, inlay. So this is from uh, uh, Turkey. This is actually a tea glass because uh, most kind of, you know, uh, from Turkey or uh, India, they'll drink tea from a glass because the heat mm-hmm. will dissipate quicker. And, but I use it for everything. I kind of, oh. when I find a really perfect glass or a mug or something like that, I will stick with it for a while. So. All right. Well, uh, let's, uh, let's have a drink. Nightingale, you have your water. Because yep. one of us has to be uh, sober <laughs> to do this interview. <laughs> All right, cheers. Thumbs uh, up. Woo! Do you feel well, Michael? Do you feel well, Alex? Wow. Uh, the chemist, right? Yeah. Woo! 
because they were probably uh, half cut themselves, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so just a quick review since I've never had, I've had their Gin 7, which is their uh, Dry Gin 7, which is their popular one. I've uh, never had this one before. I definitely never had Gin Neat. Um, so it, it has, a, I, I find it a little bit floral. Uh, just like a floral aftertaste to it. Uh, it's fresh. It's really fresh. Uh, it's smooth on the tongue, and I really like that. Uh, so let me see. I'm just going to read their website here. So uh, it's their original Western-style uh, gin made from a base of 100% local wine grapes. Oh, that's that's amazing. And vapor distilled through 22 botanicals. There you go. That's why there's that uh, flowery taste I'm getting on it. So... I'm really liking it. Okay, I'm gonna start opening the bottle of strawberry gin. A nightingale, can you tell our audience members a little bit more about Dylan's? Alrighty, Dylan's Small Batch Distillers, located at 4833 Tufford Road, Beamsville, Ontario. And obviously, we already know that this is no ordinary distillery. At Dylan's Small Batch Distillers, they focus on their four signature spirits and a line of complementing bitters. So if you're interested in rye whiskey, white rye, vodka, gin, bitters, or absinthe, you know where to go to showcase their Canadian pride and love for fine spirits. The base is made from 100% Niagara grapes. The grapes drop into the baskets before they even hit the ground and before it's even fermented and distilled. Furthermore, the spent rye grain is given back to the farmers and for animal feed once all the alcohol is extracted oh. from it. So basically, Dylan's has found a great way to reduce waste and to ensure that all food resources are fully utilized. So, Michael, what's the main ingredient used at Dylan's? Alcohol? Yeah, so you already know this, but due to local shortages, at the start of quarantine, Dylan's has modified production to make special batches of disinfectants and hand, si hand sanitizers. Mm -hmm. They've been made available to hospitals, long-term care homes, local police, municipalities, and others on the front lines. Isn't that great? We love our community stuff. We do. And just as a note, I did support them by purchasing my own bottle of their... Uh, Alcohol antiseptic, 80% Dylan's Distillers hand sanitizer. This stuff is really, really, really good. You do need to put it in a spray bottle, though. You can't just put it in a squirt bottle because it's, it's basically, like, very liquidy, very watery. So you need a spray bottle to use the stuff. But it's, it's really good. And if you go on their website and purchase a bottle, it, it supports a local business. Yep. You're saying... So they truly care about the community in various ways, so check out Dylan's Small Batch Distillers online at dylans.ca, spelled D-I-L-L-O-N-S.ca, also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Woohoo! So I'm going to try the strawberry gin now. I've just uh, poured out a measure of Dartmouth's English gin as well. Ooh, all right. Ooh, gin. Oh, by the way, Alex, we've also asked our listeners, and 100% of them on Instagram have said they've been to the UK. Yes. <laughs> oh, so this strawberry gin is their traditional dry gin uh, infused with local strawberries and botanicals, then lightly sweetened. Alex, uh, to you and your upcoming horror film festival, Hellbound. Thank Cheers. You. Cheers. Also, quick fact. Oh, yeah. 75% of our listeners drink gin and 25% do not. Maybe we'll increase that number in a future episode. <laughs> Oh my word. <laughs> but please. Oh my God. I love this. I love the strawberry. I actually liked it better than the, uh, like this one neat better than the unfiltered uh, gin. I think for, for just regular gin, I should definitely mix it. 
but the strawberry one i can definitely see myself maybe having it over the rocks making it uh, a good kind of summer patio drink that would be nice uh, can i just interject do you two normally do this uh, ep- ep- show together in person when it's not a pandemic yeah, we, yeah we're we normally always, together yeah we're normally uh, together and on location at various uh, at the various places we introduce well, I'm going to send you a bottle of gin from the UK that you can't necessarily purchase there and non, non-alcoholic UK-based drinks as well. So oh. when, when the pandemic's over to a certain degree, depending on what phase it's on in, in Canada, I'll, I'll uh, send those out to you too. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate thank it. You. I love it. So Alex, you mentioned you had a gin story. So uh, my grandmother who... My parents met in North. Uh, my grandparents met in North Africa when during the Second World War, mm-hmm. and my my grandmother loved loved gin. She'd always loved gin, and I was at such a young age when I kind of understood who my grandparents were because when you get older, you understand who people are and how significant they are. But my grandparents were always significant, and my I never saw my grandfather outside of his Parkinson's that he had. Um, mm-hmm. But my grandmother used to put on the biggest and the best birthday parties for that kind of thing and i love them to bits and it's 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 like it's difficult even bringing them up but my grandmother always used to have gin in the cupboard like always this little kind of secret place for the chocolate for the grandkids that kind of thing but it was also the place where the the gin was stored and basically when they passed away we inherited their their booze because it was like, you know how you see an old style like Ernest Hemingway? You know, have you seen Ernest Hemingway's house where all the bottles of alcohol are? And I've seen the, the pictures, yeah. And then, so basically my grandmother's little uh, cupboard that she had uh, would be full of different types of alcohol. And one of them was this kind of, I can't remember the brand, I wish I knew it, but it had lions on, in the glass. So the, the bottle was, was a tall bottle with mm-hmm. three or four different lines and it was it was gin from the sixties, and uh, my my mum said to me, she said, "Oh, do you want these? Yeah, great." And then I met Vicky for the, f- uh, and then we were going out for two years, and I was staying at my parents' house before we bought the house. And I thought, "Oh, why don't we try that gin?" My grandmother, yeah, it's from nineteen sixty-two or something like that. Oh, yeah, let's try it. Why not? And we tried it. We loved it, and we ended up having it in this kind of huge cinema cup that i love going to the cinema it's a passion of mine and we had it in this split container where there's two straws two different containers so you can have your own drinks but kind of share the bottle so we had mixers that kind of thing and we had the bottle over a course of a month or two and then i found out how much the bottle was worth if it was even if it was i got rid of the bottle because i used to keep like i've got this kind of kraken bottle that has a, has a, an actual Kraken on the outside of it. That's actually you know, my favorite rum. So. Yeah. It, it, oh, it's yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so the other bottle had like these three lines on because it's a, it's a, a signature of kind of not being English, but the, the sports teams, but this particular uh, gin. Mm-hmm. And it was worth uh, 150 pounds, something like that. Oh my God. It was, we had it, it was, it was worth that without the gin in it. And I was what? Like, I can't believe what we've just done. This was like a month after we finished it and got rid of the bottle because I used to collect them. I used to put candles in the bottles, that kind of thing. You know, like you wouldn't go to a pub or yeah. buy the kind of wax. Uh, and I got rid of the bottle and I was just, I shouldn't have because it was my grandmother's, like she had three or four and we had the, we have the others. 
but it was worth a lot of money. <laughs> and I used to buy, I used to buy Yamazaki uh, Japanese whiskey. And I went through this whole phase after I, I used to work in retail for six years and it was, it was disaster. And I, I hated it. And it gives you a thick skin, but I used to buy bottles of Yamazaki and mm-hmm. they were year 10 year old. And I used to have them over a course of a year. And then that 10 year old bottle, which they don't make anymore, just skyrocketed. And it was, it was exactly the same situation as that gin bottle. <sighs> so it, yeah. And, and now we're part of this gin club, uh, Vicky and I and Pervo, she comes over, we make the mixes and it's kind of, you know, because in the UK you can have two households which make a bubble and then yeah. you share you share your own environment. And so yeah, it's uh every time I think about my grandmother, I think about gin. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever tried, I don't know, looking online and seeing if someone has a story like I found a bottle of this gin. Just yep. I found it. It's empty and and it's worth a lot. And then you could say, like, well, that was my bottle. Cool. Someone someone found it. I've always wanted to go down that rabbit hole, but after this is this peaks and troughs in my little story. But when I had my whiskey and did six six uh, five and a half years for six days a week in retail, I had peaks and troughs in terms of drinking at home on my own, which mm-hmm. is never a good thing. So anyone listening, that's not a good thing. Drinking on your uh, at home on your own, uh, and since then I've kind of kind of curbed things a lot and. Yeah, I'd love to go down the rabbit hole of uh, looking at these things again, but uh, kind of curb that a little bit now. Right. Even though I've got this whole rack of booze here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, to our audience members, please drink responsibly. Absolutely. Uh, switching gears a little bit. So you're, you're in Chester, England right now. Is that where you were born? <laughs> yeah, so uh, I've traveled all over, mm-hmm. but I was born about three minutes in the car that way. Uh, so I'm actually, uh, if people are listening, uh, it's it's very very close to where I live because I we've bought a house on an army barracks or an old army barracks. Oh wow! Just down the road, it's uh, where the hospital is in Chester. So, uh, Michael, your father-in-law, there's a very good chance that he was born at the Countess Chester Hospital, mm-hmm. a wonderful place. Because this is a little bit of a tangent. I was born there. My my mother had breast cancer. She was treated there for it. She survived. Two of her friends didn't. So it's a it's a kind of a very special place, really. Did you also uh, did you also grow up in Chester? Uh, yeah, um, and a slightly rougher place called Ellesmere Port, which is. Oh. <laughs> uh, um, but it gives you a thicker skin if you if you live in a slightly rougher place. Mm-hmm. Um, but our family. I was, I, I've been very lucky. We you know our family stayed together. I'm not saying that families that don't stay together don't have a good experience, but I, I've, been, I've had a very blessed and lucky childhood, really. And mm-hmm. Chester almost seemed like a massive place when I was a child. But then when you go to New York or a bigger city like London, it's kind of, it's nothing. Chester's a very small place, really. So did you... Uh... So, so you spent most of your childhood in, in, in two different places before yeah. you went to university or college? That's right. So uh, it was living in Ellesmere Port and going to Chester at school, so I'd take the bus there. Okay. And then uh, I lived in Manchester. I lived in London. I traveled all over Europe. And, yeah, it's been, it's been crazy. And 
anyone listening or watching, if you've got the opportunity uh, after school or after college or before uni, travel. It'll give you the greater understanding of how the world works and Mm -hmm. your appreciation for other cultures and other people. And that's what we need now. That's what we really need now. And I I totally agree with you on that. You definitely need that. Um, Where did you, uh, after high school, where did you go to school? Uh, I went to school in Chester. (laughs) So it's called Bishop's Blue Coat School. Uh, It sounds posh, but it's not. (laughs) (laughs) that's a cool name man so it's a cool name for a school but like uh so in university where did you go uh manchester metropolitan university so manchester is a lot of fun uh if if you ever want to come to the northwest and you're always more than welcome both of you go out in liverpool in in the evening it's great manchester during the day that's the best way to describe that like it's got the mix of cultures in manchester is absolutely fantastic because I love, we love all sorts of food and experience in different cultures. Manchester's a great place for that. That's good to hear. I'll definitely, I definitely want to visit because as you know, I love Manchester. <laughs> but, uh, I know you're sick. So, so Michael, say that again. I love Manchester United. And what just happened? Liverpool won the championship. Now I do need to, I do need to justify myself. The only reason why I like Chan- Manchester United is because of the movie Euro Trip. I had known nothing about the Premier League prior to that movie. And uh, I have always been in terms of soccer uh, or slash football, a fan of the Toronto FC. And that was about it. Uh, but then that movie came out and I was like, man, Man, it sounds like these fans are crazy. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get on that. And so I started following that. And I know literally no other team. And then you come along. And you're like, well, well, Liverpool's awesome. So Alex, you're. I, I promised you I would learn about Liverpool and become a fan. And I'm going to hold myself to that. Now I respect other people's opinions when it comes to. Uh, sport and outside of science, you're entitled to your opinion. But when it comes to sport, <laughs> that's the wrong team, man. Toronto is kind of like Liverpool. Like in, in Germany, it's Borussia Dortmund, uh, like Liverpool in terms of the attitude, the city and all of that. Mm-hmm. Manchester United, the bane of my existence for the last 30 years because they dominated everything. So, yeah, we've uh, we've separated in our friendship just a little bit now, Michael. <laughs> I Just love... for the record, my listeners, I'm going to be Switzerland. I will be neutral. <laughs> I, I, I just love that the passion, I love the passion that you Brits have for football. I absolutely, it, it just blows my mind. And uh, yeah, like, it's ridiculous that my first experience, my first introduction to that aspect of your culture is is a silly little American movie. But you know, the longer I've dug into it, just the more impressed and sometimes terrified I am of it. I quite enjoyed Road Trip, but not for that reason. <laughs> oh, Lord. I, I, this, this is how much I love Liverpool uh, as a football club, is I have a Jurgen Klopp who's the manager of Liverpool Football Club, a god in football. He's seen as the greatest manager in terms of the present day, the greatest manager. There's a flat. There's a scarf outside, nailed to a tree, outside the front. And my neighbour across the road, he's a Liverpool fan. And his family are, 
But my next door neighbor, because we're in a semi-detached house where we share a wall with one of the neighbors, he's a hardcore season ticket holder Manchester United fan. I played, I played You'll Never Walk Alone, which is kind of the theme music of Liverpool. Mm-hmm. At the highest level my audio system's ever been at, I opened the windows. It was like a moment from, uh, it was like a moment from a movie. And I played it. You could see lights in the street lighting up when I started playing it. And my neighbor across the road started saying, turn it up, turn it up. And I just turned it up. Vicky was asleep upstairs. She woke up straight away. And I didn't care for those three and a half minutes of that, that song. Didn't care. And then since then, I've been quiet about it. But is that my little moment? <laughs> it's a very beautiful moment. I really Absolutely. love it. I can just imagine the whole thing. I can just- mm-hmm. There's a, I can't remember. There's a, I think it's an Italian film where uh, the projectionist of this local cinema turns the projector around. I, I wish I could remember the name of the film. He turns the projector around because it's something to do with the, the townspeople not being able to go to the cinema. He turns it outside this huge window and projects onto this wall so the whole town could see the film. And it, it kind of felt like that moment just between me and the neighbor, who's the, you know, a fantastic guy and his dog, Rosie, loves people. And obviously because of this whole thing with the pandemic and not being able to, you should always keep your dog on a leash in terms of dogs can spread the disease. Uh, Rosie's been like uh, sat on the ground looking at me, wanting to run over the road mm. and couldn't. Uh, so it was a little kind of a little special moment between me and my neighbor across the road. And this is the most kind of community I've ever felt the last 12 weeks. I think that's a very important thing. What you guys are doing in terms of highlighting local businesses, it's super important. Community is very, very important now. It's uh, community you. super. And, and thank you. Yeah, it's super important. And it, it means a lot to us. Uh, to be going out there and trying to support the community that we're in and all the businesses in it. But yeah, just going back a little bit. So, so what did you go to university for? What you study? Uh, uh, film production. I got under the highest grade. I didn't get a, a first. I got a two one. And this is the moment where, apart from outside of alcohol, I forget the argument I had or forget the moment because. I worked so hard for what I did mm-hmm. like post-production in terms of people that don't necessarily understand how it works was massively understated in the, the share of work, the share amount of work involved and the amount of work I put in my own film and other people's film. I worked on seven other films outside of my own. I, I just kind of, I, I lost the plot at the end of my third year. I still got my two one. I didn't get dismissed or anything like that, but I was extremely frustrated. <laughs> But I was very happy. I worked in post-production on TV shows, a uh, feature film in London. Um, and then I've kind of got a, a, a good grounding for what I do and experience. You've got to have experience in, in, in some of this generally. Like I was saying about retail, retail gives you a thick skin on how to deal with people on a day-to-day basis. And I would actually, if anyone coming up school or college do two years in retail. It'll make you a, a more grounded and a stronger person. I couldn't or anything more. with like service. Oh yeah. Service. I used to work for Apple. Oh my God. So you're a genius. <laughs> uh, yeah. My, my, Vicky doesn't <laughs> think so. <laughs> so did you find that? Cause you're, you're an industry, you're a film industry and television industry. And, and 
they're huge in the UK. So did you find it easy to get a job once you got out of, uh, once you graduated from university? No. Uh, the biggest mistake I made was not taking base. When I worked on a, I worked on a feature film. It's known in the U S and Canada as shattered or butterfly in, on the on a wheel in the UK. And it had Gerald Butler, Piers Brosnan, Maria Bello in, and it was a, it was a $30 million film, but in, in terms of 2007 when it came out that's a small film and i was going into my third year of university at that time and i took a small break and the biggest mistake i made was not they said they offered me would you like to work on the rest of post-production i said it's an unpaid job if if you said spoken to me now i'll be like yep i'll do that no matter what i'll get my family to support me i'll do it but it was financially not possible to do that and it was extremely difficult you know because you want to you feel as though you want to finish university, that kind of thing. <clears throat> but I should have taken that risk. Like seven years before that, seven, eight years before that, 1999, uh, pre-production was starting on this huge show. And when I was working in the cinema, because I used to work as an usher, and I've got some you know, great stories from that. Uh, a friend of mine uh, worked at the cinema alongside me. She was in university. And I was just slightly younger because I lied about my age working at the cinema. <laughs> I said I was 18. I was 17 in 99. And... Uh, and I lied about that for four years after because I worked there for four years. And she said, I've got this TV show. They're looking for runners. Would you like to come work on it? Oh, I'm not sure. Because I couldn't get a running job on that gig because I wasn't a student. If I told her my real age, I wouldn't have been able to get the job anyway. And I was good friends with her. And she said, okay, I'll, I'll, that's, that's okay. She came back. She worked on Band of Brothers as a runner. So she'd met Steven Spielberg, Tom Hanks, worked on one of the biggest shows ever. Like in 2000, that cost $100 million for 10 episodes, $10 million an episode. And she worked on the whole thing. She went on to work on uh, big shows. And we had a bit of a relationship after, but I had this huge regret of not trying. You know what I mean? Those couple of mistakes in terms of industry. Mm-hmm. But it gives you a good grounding like retail. It gives you uh, an understanding of how the process works. And you can't live with, with regret. It's, it's a terrible burden. You know, like it, with a regret with family, personal life, anything like that, it can eat at you and uh, it's best not to live with that. So moving forward, um, what, I'm so, what... I'm so drunk, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, this is the most drunk I've been in ages. Well, I apologize for getting you, drunk, getting you drunk on the air. <laughs> oh my God. I'm, I'm plastered. Oh um so moving <laughs> forward a bit uh so 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 what do you do now like what's your what's your job so my uh joe job so to speak is i'm a photographer and videographer for the university of chester mm-hmm. and it's less than a five minute commute so because I, I live on an army base or ex-army base it, mm-hmm. there's no excuse for cycling to work so after things clear up in terms of pandemic I'm going to make a concise effort to lose my late Marlon Brando body and to be, to be a fully fit individual because I owe it to myself, I owe it to my, my partner. And yeah, I love what I do. I love shooting films uh, independently. I love, I love corporate stuff, things that people won't ever see. You know, because with practice, like making short films, like with your sh- uh, short, Michael, uh, Switch, you're always learning. Every single time you make something, you're always learning whether it's the next photo, or I don't like that light, I don't like that composition. With a, with my job that I do full-time anyway, mm-hmm. I'm always learning. Now I do support 
So I, we've produced over 220 videos over the last two weeks for lecturers for the virtual open day. So there's, in terms of being organized, I've learned so much. And when you produce your own stuff, predominantly I'm an editor by, uh, by nature. That's kind of my experience. Mm-hmm. And I'm, <laughs> when it comes to work like that or on the computer, I am super organized. But when you look at this desk, it looks like Dennis Nedry's desk from Jurassic Park. <laughs> you know, like I hate all this hacker shit. It's uh, sorry for the swearing, but it's, right. it's just so messy. And yeah, I love what I do and I won't swap it for anything. So is there uh, anything that you've done independently that people, I guess, can watch? Is it on YouTube? Is it on available to purchase? Well, my biggest mistake was as soon as I started putting stuff up online, like uh, my drone stuff, because I'm a certified drone pilot, it's not, not tagging it correctly or anything like that. So I'm thinking as a cinematographer before putting a drone in the air, because drone uh, videography is all about preparation because you've got 15 minutes per battery or whatever it is. And then it's, you can't just, Oh, I'll shoot that. That'll be nice. Um, so there's a lot of that online and there's not a concise place. Like I'm, I'm rebuilding my website at the moment to kind of mm-hmm. have more of the festival stuff on. Uh, but yeah, if you go to um, Hellbound horror festival, uh, that's, uh, that's where I'm at at the moment. So speaking of festivals, you were going to say something, Nightingale. I just said, ooh. Oh, okay. Ooh, ooh, not ooh, ooh. No, no. Horror? Like Doctor Who. Okay, yeah. yes, that's true. Um, so speaking of festivals, uh, your first one, I assume, was the ISF, the Isolation Film Festival, correct? That's correct, yeah. We started that about 12 weeks ago. So how did, how did that come about? So the original intent was uh, the other co-creator, Chris Berry. Uh, we worked together. He works in video production. I work in a similar capacity. Mm-hmm. And we were going to send each other films and say, oh, this is how, this is how we're going to occupy ourselves time-wise outside of work. We'll make stuff at home. He's quite uh, a gregarious character and uh, he, he does a lot of stuff to camera, that kind of thing. But I like, I like kind of darker tones, sh- light and shadow, so we're going to send each other stuff and amuse each other that way. And I suggested, well, why don't we open up further? Why don't we make this something available for everyone? As soon as that moment happened, I thought, this could be a small festival. Even if we get 10 submissions, that'd be great. And then I got the domain name. I bought the, I bought everything. And it kind of coincided with the uh, Isolation Short Film Festival based in Toronto. Yep. And it was very similar times. And I swear, if we hadn't started ours, they would have gone for the Isolation Film Festival. But we kind of, it was, it was a, it was great because we've, we've had submissions from five continents. We've had over a hundred films. We've had no marketing. We've got no cineplex. We've got no backers at all. It's just mm-hmm. myself and two other people. That's it. Oh wow, that's and your entire team. That's it. That's all. Oh it's my ever god. Been. Yeah. So and it's you- a lot of work, but it's it's the curation of people's films. Some of it's personal, some of it's very personal, and some of it's just, you know, crazy horror films or whatever. It's been an absolute pleasure to do that, and I would never swap that for anything else. So, and you, you, you came up with this festival with no previous festival experience whatsoever. Zero. Zero. Oh, my goodness. I am Dome- Domain name, Twitter, Instagram, that's it. Right, we've got the bare bones. Like 10 years ago, we've got the bare bones of our account. What mm-hmm. do we do now? And it was, everything was learning on the fly there's been so many hours plowed into this it's it's three or four hours a day every day for 12 weeks 
just a one thing. Is there a single thing uh, working on your festival that you can sing that you can say is the absolute hardest part of running your festival? Um, the admin, like I, I, I've done the admin for everything myself for 105 different film submitters, and we we. I, this is the thing I didn't, I have never sent during the festival, during this Hellbound Horror Festival, I've never sent a single email that feels generic. I've always wanted to thank someone for their film, make a little comment about a certain part of their film. And I've done that at least three or four times for every single person and keeping track of everything, respecting the people that have made the films. Like we don't want to lose track of everything because of the opening of the award show on the 20th of June, we are, I, I put a montage together, which took about six and a half hours of 105 different films. And I checked that so many times to make sure I had 105 different clips. In. <laughs> but it was one of the highlights that people highlighted that I'm so glad you mentioned me just in the montage. And that was worth the six and a half hours because it was a lot of work, you know, spending the time finding the clips, organizing it like for your film switch, Michael, it was really simple because it was like something had happened to you, the shot of you in the film. (laughs) And it was a reactionary shot. And I I think I've mentioned before that it's kind of your little shot is part of a montage, which I make a little joke of. And um, yeah, it's my favorite thing to come out of this is the community we've built people people thanking us it wasn't like oh well done you're patting yourself on the back it was making people feel welcome and making feel like they're actually being engaged and not just oh we're we're a youtube we're a platform online send us your stuff that's it we were always very thankful and when i say it was very humbling during the ceremony it really was when we're being someone's every film we we received felt personal because it is people's art it has an p- element of them in them in their art. Doesn't matter whether you're a painter, musician, whatever. It has an element of truth in that from that person. And I felt that every time we received a film, it was incredibly exciting. And then when Nadia Gladys came on board, a friend of mine for, for, for years from North Carolina, she really kind of focused me and said, "This is about community. You can build something here. It was. It's never about money. We've never made money from it or anything. There's no submission fees, nothing like that. There's no prizes." but it was about making people feel welcome. Like today we launched a video on our Instagram account and it's from Julian Christophe from uh, uh, France. And mm-hmm. he sent us a video thanking us. And he was telling me his experience of working with his son on his short film. And it won two, the two major prizes, the cinematography and the best film. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's the greatest thing to come out of it is the community we we're building. And I noticed that uh, throughout your your festival, you also kind of expanded on your community building with your podcast. So can you talk a little bit about how the filmmakers came about? Well, originally it was called In Conversation, but it felt too much like a late night, something that uh, something had already been done. And the first film we received, the chap from uh, Bordeaux in France, we didn't communicate very well and i ended up sending him messages live and then i cut it together so it looked like we were talking to each other mm-hmm. but si- since that first episode and uh it was it turned into something where we wanted to give people a voice we wanted to give people a uh, a sense of connection and it's kind of built from there 
and since speaking to Nadia and we kind of co-host it now uh, it's been wonderful like we spoke to an actor called Henry Tran mm-hmm. from Toronto as well and we did a podcast together and he's actually going to help me with a little bit of an idea like I've spoken to you about for the, the horror festival Yeah, and it was it, it felt like I was being treated in a way because I was making these perceived online friends and it was so nice just to hear from people in a different situation but in a similar situation at the same time if that makes sense in terms of COVID mm-hmm. and it was so nice to hear about how people were making their films like there's a thing on Netflix at the moment uh, I, can't, I think it's called Short Stories something like that but it's homemade. about homemade I'm not a fan of it and the reason being because it feels like it feels a bit pretentious to me and the the things we were receiving were very personal even if it was a comedy about sitting on the toilet playing your switch it <laughs> still it still felt like a personal story and uh i forgot my point was it was it was just we are very proud i was very happy what i'm doing and with the podcast sorry uh i wanted a kind of an extension of that it wasn't an afterthought it was something i always wanted to do mm-hmm. but I, I never felt comfortable being on camera because I, I'm, I've got pre-internet knowledge. I'm pre-internet in terms of my age. Yep. And a lot of people now are like, yeah, great in front of the camera, you know, great YouTubers and that. But I, I never felt like that. I was had this British reserve thing going on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I thought, oh, why well, let's try it. Why not? And then if you look at the first episode, it's so badly lit. It's terrible. It looks terrible. It sounds terrible. But uh, this, what I've got now in terms of the little setup, the lights and everything, it's almost like two years of development that would have happened outside of COVID, but with mm-hmm. the cost and everything, it, it wouldn't happen straight away. So the money I'm saving on transport, that kind of thing, uh, has actually gone into the house and gone into my little setup here. Well, yeah, just just like I think most like most podcasts, uh, you know, evolution takes place as you as you create, right? As you go episode to episode, our podcast was pretty rough at the beginning and our format was completely different. I don't know if you've listened to our earlier episodes where we weren't interviewing people and just talking about pop culture and, and loudly annoyingly eating food that induced some people to have panic attacks, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) a friend of mine is making a business based on that. Oh, really? He's done this thing, Chris, the other co-founder of the festival. Mm-hmm. He does this whole thing with the wizard wands now. Oh, sound with wands and scrunching paper, that kind of thing. So he's gone full tilt into that now. Uh, just a little quick question: Where was your first episode? And if if this pandemic hadn't happened, what's the what's the kind of format for meeting up? Where do you pick that kind of thing? Our first episode was at the Black Canary, which is a, um, I guess, like a a nerd's dream, like a comic book lover's dream, because they sell like figures and comics. And they also have a cafe called the Black Canary, named after the Black Canary in the DC comics. Yeah, it's in uh, Silver Snail Comics, right uh, across and just a little bit up from the Eaton Center, which is like the famous mall in downtown Toronto. Yeah. So we did all our brainstorming at this little nerd cafe. And we just, so when we, in fact, at one point, our podcast was supposed to just exclusively be recorded there every single time. But we kind of, Nightingale is the one who was like, shouldn't we kind of go do more? Shouldn't we go and introduce people to local businesses? I'm like, yeah, I like to eat. Let's do it. So, 
I think it's supporting local, and that's what I've really loved about your podcast is the supporting local so important now because it is who was it who was it uh Paige Locke an actress from Toronto she was talking about Starbucks would be okay but your local uh barista you know they need support and it's not just of throwing money out they make great products they great sell great services mm-hmm. so I think what you're highlighting and because it's made me want to vis- visit Toronto again or, or at least once uh and it's it's having those little bursts of information about these places is really important oh it is but yeah we've been to a few places where they support like um indigenous like farms overseas especially those who harvest like coffee beans and whatnot and then mm-hmm. i later on introduced michael to a community center in chinatown and then that's where our format like we had a we evolutionized i guess yeah, we, we did evolve. And uh, to answer your question about once this pandemic is over, we're going back to the format we had right before it started, which is we would uh, kind of get to get together online and, and figure out, okay, so which places locally can we get to together? When? And how, like, is it worth supporting there are there are some places that are not very nice so obviously we're not we're not gonna we're not gonna support them but how do you uh, kind of figure out where to go based on that how do you kind of figure that out well uh we we go to places mostly it's word of mouth we start there right we we places we people tell us are good or or that we have experience at but outside of that we do a lot of research into what different kind of local places people go to, if there are any kind of local gems that people don't really know enough about, but that those who have been there really, really like. Uh, Any kind of cultural uh, foods that people may not think to eat. Uh, Like Nightingale was telling me about an indigenous business uh, in downtown Toronto that I had never heard of. And... uh, that is now a, a, a goal for us to, to go there once this pandemic is over. Hopefully they're still there, but to go there once the pandemic they're is over. They're still there. So we can, no, I meant like after, you know, like fully open up. I, I, I always worry, right? A lot of businesses have shut yeah, down. Absolutely. So, you know, if they're still there by the time Nightingale and I can meet up and then bring a guest with us, we're definitely going to go, go and, and feature them. Because it's important to, to feature, especially like we, we normally target uh, like mom and pop shops, right? Independently, locally owned. Uh, there, are, there, are, there are places that are locally owned, but they're owned by bigger companies yeah. or corporations. They don't, they, don't need to, they don't need to feature. They don't need to support. Uh, so we're targeting mainly places that are smaller. Well, that's great. That's a, that's a really good way to support community and... I, I we try and do that here. We in Manchester where we go visit uh, Vicky's sister. We support the smaller places. Mm-hmm. Like I go to a place called Venus, and it's a Turkish supermarket. They've also got like a little uh, fast food place, but the, it's incredible. It was almost like that moment from Have you seen Ratatouille? Yeah. Oh yeah. When he ha- when he eats that food, and it kind of takes him back to his childhood. Yeah. When I had these Turkish uh, pork chops. And the way they spiced them and all of that. Oh yeah, let's just try this. It was like it felt like an ethereal moment. It was a very special moment. And I, I'm open. I'm super open-minded when it comes to food. And a lot, a lot of people aren't. And I feel sorry for them. And 
there's there's such great places like I go to a Lebanese place in Manchester called uh, Jasmine, and you can't take uh, you can take alcohol, but they don't serve it there. The food is unreal. It's it's unreal. I, I you just have this connection with food because it serves us like water does. It, it's kind of it, it's such a fantastic thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So speaking of things that uh, bring us great memories, I know that you're very much into horror films. <laughs> Have you always been into horror films? Uh, well, my eldest brother, Michael, uh, he's a reason I am and wasn't years ago. So oh. I'm into it now. Years ago, when I was like mm, four or five years old, I was introduced to Hellraiser. Can you imagine a five-year-old watching Hellraiser? I, oh my God. <laughs> or, or, ch- or Child's Play or uh, Brain Dead or anything like that. I think that was the Peter Jackson one, Brain Dead. But it was... So it was traumatic. I used to have nightmares every single day for years about Peter, uh, about uh, Christopher Lee as, as uh, Dracula, uh, about Robert Englund, who I met, uh, about um, Nightmare on Elm Street. I used to have nightmares where, I'll tell you this nightmare. So I'd, I'd seen them when I was much younger, like eight, nine years old at this point. And I'd watch one of them where... Uh, someone, I think Patricia Arquette was in the film. I think it was Dream Warriors. And I had this nightmare where I was in a high chair being fed my own stomach. So since oh. that point, it's really quite a grim thing. So being fed your own thing and then seeing it fall out, that was where I was at when I was like 10 years old. So it's it had this early part where I hated it and, and I like wake up with my palms sweating or whatever. And then now I absolutely kind of gone full circle. I love it to bits. Because it gives me that visceral experience, I know Hellraiser has some absolutely graphic scenes in terms mm-hmm. of what happens to you when you go to pleasure or pain inside Pandora's box. But it was, I think it's what I get off horror after because it's such a, a, an experience. Uh, not many other genres of film do that for me. And I, I'm kind of growing to love it more and more now. And is that, uh, that love for horror what drove you to... Uh, come up with your next project, the Hellbound Horror Festival? Yeah, I think I, I ended up watching Hellraiser over the last two weeks, three times, and it was it's ridiculous. Uh, Nightingale, have you, see, have you seen Hellraiser? Yes, 50% of our fans have watched it, and but they all <laughs> love horror films, 100%, so they will be excited for the Hellbound Film Festival. Are you a fan of Hellraiser? Huh? Yeah, I've seen it. I like it. You like it? Okay. Like I saw Psycho when I was a kid. I didn't understand it, but I thought it was cool. I, I don't know. The, mu- uh, the music was, was, I don't know. I, I, I still remember it to this yeah, day. Yeah, the, the music of Psycho is a work of genius. Bernard Herrmann. Mm-hmm. I, I met his wife once years ago. Oh, wow. It's, it's a, oh, the score of that film is genius. With Hellraiser, it was, it's about uh, what's in the shadow. Because if you look down the street at night, you don't know what's in the shadow. Anything could be there. 99% of the time, it's nothing there. But it's like the idea of what could be lurking. I think that sort of scares me the most. Yeah, it's what your mind is generating that, not the film. That's the crazy part. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And Hellraiser. I didn't know this until uh, say a year ago. Hellraiser is created by Clive Barker, who's from Liverpool. Pinhead, who's in the main protagonist in Hellbound, he's from Liverpool. So I, I really didn't know this to recently, and. I thought, right, we want to pay homage to the Northwest, which is Northwest of England and North Wales. How better to do that for our festival than make the logo close, but not the same as, uh, as Pinhead. If you look at it, it's got little pins in the skull. Mm-hmm. And 
Yeah, with, there's a rich source of creativity from uh, from the northwest with the Beatles and music music from Manchester. So I have to I have to pay homage to um, uh, Hellraiser in some way in our festival title, and Hellbound's right. I think the title of the second film. So it is yes, uh, and yeah, it's 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 a lot of work because I'm the only one working on this. Everything you see from now up until the success or failure it might be. Uh, it is everything is down to me, but I, you know, you got to swing for the fences when you come up with an idea. You have to really yeah. believe in it, otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. So well, tell that's us, it's going to be successful. No, it, it absolutely yeah. will. But tell us a little bit about the festival itself. So what I, I, we know it's horror, but like, how's so, that? How's it going to work? So it's the first of August. Submissions open. So I think I only announced that yesterday, roughly, because mm-hmm. I was doing some of the fa- the Facebook pages and submissions open first of August. The submissions closed first of October, so two months, and we're going to actually accept films that have been created, I think, a minute, maximum of a year ago. So okay. outside of pandemic, post that or post that to a certain degree. Now you don't have to create it now, and the only rules are it's one to five minutes, and you don't make fun of COVID nineteen or what people have been through. That's the only proviso. If it's a parody about something, it, it's going to be it's going to be a case by case basis. I think that's that's what I'm going to believe in when judging people's films to be accepted. Right. But you can't make fun of this. It's so, so raw on people no, you, now. Yeah, and, it's too uh, soon and pro- just not appropriate. Exactly, yeah. So it's one to five minutes. That's the max. Uh, we will make exceptions where it comes to, or I will make exceptions between like five minutes and 10 seconds for credits or whatever. Right. And we want it to be fun. It's going to be completely different. So if you look at this shot of people watching, when people are watching this is kind of my setup for um the interviews the podcasts everything to do the festival but if you look at the stuff i'm going to generate it's going to be an anamorphic it's going to be darker it's going to be like red and blue it's going to be completely different you know it's going to look like old school 3d glasses originally Mm -hmm. this is a little secret originally i was going to make a character with a face mask gloves that kind of thing but it wasn't working because there's a disconnection when you can't see someone's eyes or their mouth moving with the mask. It wasn't working, so I scrapped that idea a few days ago. Mm. And I've got someone, Chris Forsey, who wrote all the music for the Isolation Film Festival. He's really into uh, dark horror films, like I am. Oh. And he's, he's doing all the scoring. He's doing all the original music for it. Wow. So anything you see, he, and he's so talented because he's making music all the time and... Uh, he's a huge Doctor Who fan as well. He's got like a, a Daleks and, and uh, the TARDIS all down his arm tattooed. So he's a huge fan. Exactly, yeah. So am I. <laughs> I'm showing him uh, showing him my Dalek poster, by the way. I love, I love that. And uh, yeah, I kind of wanted to do something different. I didn't want to go away from the spirit of a filmmaking community, but I wanted something completely different flavor. And that was the Hellbound Horror Festival. Mm-hmm. So how's judging going to look? Well, judging, I'll tell you a little bit about the Isolation Film Festival. Mm-hmm. We, everything outside of the guest judges, which is Nerd OD, Vance Burberry, thanks to him, and the director's duo from Munich, who are super talented. We thought, right, we'll hand them best film, best cinematography, because they're the most difficult ones that Chris and I understood the most in terms of our experience. Right. We'll hand those, hand those off so we don't have to make that decision. <laughs> Because it was incredibly <laughs> difficult. Because when you see some of the submissions, which we're going to post all on the festivals on the site mm-hmm. soon, it was very difficult. But we thought, right, we don't want to take all the, you know, we've got, we had other judges in reserve as well. But we thought, nah, 
we'll just stick with the three judges we have um, and come up with a democratic way of picking the winners, the other ones. And it was it was very difficult. And like Gossanoz, which did very well in the ISFF, was very close to winning Best Comedy. You, uh, your film, Michael Switch, was in the top five of what we had. So it was, oh, it was, thank it was you. extremely difficult because it was so on point with with and that wide shot. I've I've mentioned to this you on the podcast when you were on our podcast is that wide shot of you on the toilet with the toilet rolls is super important. And I thought it worked so well, your film. And yeah, it, it was very difficult. And we were going to say, we were going to do nominee videos during the festival, that kind of thing. But it was going to run over an hour and a half. And we thought two an hour and a half, two hours is max. Mm-hmm. And I thought what Stephen Mann has done with the ISFF is fantastic. Yep. It was over five and a half hours, the ceremony. And even though we got like an eighth of what they had in terms of films, it was, we couldn't go over two hours. We just, it wasn't acceptable to us. Right. So how's the, uh, the Hellbound Festival looking for you? So this is preparation time at the moment because because of the Isolation Film Festival, it's given me a lot of experience of what to generate, what to make. Right. Uh, how, but the approach to things is different. And with the character I was going to create, that would have cre- I would have had to have come up with scripts for the character, that kind of thing. So I was kind of scrapped that. Right. And now it's going to be it's going to be very personal, straight to camera. This is what it's about. Keep it super simple. And then we've got some. We've already got one guest judge for it, which is oh. massive. And then another guest judge for the Isolation Film Festival next year. So it's oh wow. In terms of the judging of the categories, you know, we had ten categories. I think it was or ten films, something like yeah. that. The one like top three, and then there was a lot of other awards. We should have done. My mistake was we should have put a best sound award because there was a lot of filmmakers like Ian Blackwood and it's over who had fantastic sound. So we, that was my mistake. And that was born out of the amount we had and the quality without the quality. We didn't think we'd do an award show. We'd just do a, some sort of showcase. Right. Well, it's going to be the same thing. I'm going to judge what we can award uh, or how we award it in the right way based on the quality and the number because if we get, say, 10 submissions, I'll just do an honorable mentions kind of thing. Uh, I'll, I'll like showcase all the films. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's tricky without knowing the numbers. Are you able to uh, clue us in on who this judge is? If you take a little drink of your gin, I'll tell you who it is. All right, I'll, I'll do that. That's, uh, strawberry gin, popping the... There you go. Here's to the both of you. I'm going to pour it in. Here's to your festival. And all the hard work you've put into it. Yes. Mm. Drum roll, please. So I called Michael last week and it wasn't confirmed, but what I can confirm for next year's Isolation Film Festival is we have Alex Proyas, who directed The Crow as his debut film with uh, Brandon Lee and Dark City. Two of the best films of the 90s. He's going to be our head, probably our head judge for next year's festival. He's currently making his own film studio, virtual sets in, uh, I think it's Sydney, Australia. And that's being confirmed for next year, which is incredible because The Crow, if you watch that, he made, I think it was just before Seven, he made uh, Rain cinematic. You know, like that heavy rain? <laughs> when you watch that in Seven or... Uh, um, the Crow, it's super cinematic. There's something, it's just the way it's lit. 
and he made Dark City. If you watch those two films, they're two of the greatest films from the 90s. Fantastic. And they inf- especially Dark City informed how the Wachowskis shot The Matrix. It really did. Uh, and we've got a... Um, Ramsey Campbell is an author of 50 years, over 50 years of horror writing as our confirmed first judge for the Hellbound Horror Festival. What? So he's he's best friends with Clive Barker who created Hellraiser and he's an icon of cinema. For fans that are watching and listening, watch something called Horror Cafe on YouTube. I think it's in four parts. It has John Carpenter, Clive Barker, Ramsey Campbell, and uh, Roger Corman and two other people. That's how higher standard uh, Ramsey Campbell is seen in the horror in the horror uh, uh, Parthenon of of uh, writers and filmmakers. He's a British. He's a British writer from Liverpool, and he's agreed to do a podcast. He's agreed to do uh, judging. So I think, depending on how many films we get, he's going to be a judge of uh, best writing in horror. And he's been writing for over fifty years, and by reviewers in the US and worldwide. He's been uh, compared to Lovecraft. So Lovecraft. No, this is exciting news. Congratulations, man! That is. Did you you just like write him? Like, how did you? How did you do this? Uh, So, uh, well, with Alex Proyas, I sent him a message. I think eight weeks ago about I'm I'm doing this isolation film festival. Would you be interested? Mm -hmm. And I think it was the day after or two days after the live event on the twentieth, the award show. He sent me a message saying, oh, I'd still love to be involved. I'm so sorry. Uh, I don't read my messages. And I'd sent him a, just a DM on Instagram. I thought, mm-hmm. oh, why not? Let's just do this. Yeah. So I said to him, would you be interested in being part of the horror festival? He says, I can't confirm that's at the moment. This was a few days later after we spoke, Michael. Yeah. And he said, I can do it next year, but let me check on October because he's just making this giant, this like independent giant movie in Australia. He's building his own studio his own virtual studio and he confirmed for isolation film festival 2021. And then he's not sure about whether he can commit to this, but Ramsey Campbell, a friend of mine, Will Cotton, shout out to Will. He said, contact uh, Ramsey Campbell. And I'd known him from this horror cafe thing, which was shot in like 1990s on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd, what I didn't realize I'd read at least two of his books years ago when I was reading Carrie, when I was reading Cujo, I'd read two of his books already and I, ha- I still have them at my mum and dad's house. Oh. And I, I'd just forgotten, forgotten who he was. And I was just, I thought, right, send him an email, be concise, talk, send him like days and the French film that won the two awards, write a really kind of personalized email like I was doing with all the filmmakers for our festival and see what happens, fire those out. Uh, some returns said no, but Ramsey Campbell said, came back and said, yeah, count me in. That's what he said straight away. Then an email been back saying, would you be interested in doing a podcast together about your work, your over 50 years of experience? being friends with Clive Barker. I was being a little bit cheeky asking about him. (laughs) Yeah, no problem at all. He said, let's do this. And he's in his, he's a war baby. So he was born in the forties and he's been writing for over 50 years now. Uh, When you look at Ramsey Campbell's covers for his books, you can see he's, it's very dark, (laughs) very dark, but it's, it's incredibly exciting to get one judge. Like when we got Vance Burberry, who's worked with everyone for the isolation film festival mm-hmm. and he worked with he shot sweet child of mine which has over a billion views on youtube it's one of the best songs from uh, guns and roses oh yeah he worked with everyone he worked with garth brooks re- recently he shot and he's an underwater cinematographer so when these people say yeah 
and you've just sent them a message. It's, it's incredibly gratifying. And then it wasn't just like, I've got to make sure I don't come across as a fanboy fanboy. <laughs> it was doing it the right way. Like you're having a conversation about technology or technique because mm-hmm. his experience is here. Mine's here in terms of high and low. And it's, uh, it's really gratifying. And the, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something now, Michael, when, and Nightingale, when the director's duo Nerd OD and Vance Burberry agreed to be judges on the isolation film festival, we were getting emails from them and messages uh, on our phones saying, I'm so happy you spoke to us. This is such a worthy cause, focusing people's creativity. It was, it was really humbling that they'd been working for giant, giant the highest end. Like directors duo worked for Marvel. They did a sequ- they did an entire sequence in Ant Man, and <laughs> it's just being asked to do something simple. And it wasn't some like I'm going to say this term brown nosing and like oh sucking up to them. It was it was just asking them, can you help the filmmaking community? And these people just said yes. And it was what, half an hour of their time and sending me their video, and it was. It's been amazing. I think if I can do that for horror filmmaker community and horror fans, then I'll be very happy. Even if I get five five submissions, honestly, I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. And I've already been sent one. I've actually already been sent. You already have. One. Oh my god! It's not days, is it? No, no, no. Because <laughs> we know Ian's going to win everything. <laughs> no, he, he's actually making. A, I think he's making a feature film at the moment. I said to him, "What you can submit." if you want to, is a trailer less than five minutes for your film. But right. it can't have been shown at the kind of mothership of Isolation Film Festival. That's the rule. Yeah. Because otherwise, okay. Days would get no. in there and re- do really well. Yeah, no, and, and do really well. I know exactly. He'll win everything because yeah. it's such a good film. Yeah. But no, this is this is exciting news. And uh, I, I'm definitely, definitely going to be tuning in for your festival. Like, I'm, I'm super excited about it. Like, I love horror films, so... And I'm, I, I don't know about Night Night. Are you into horror the way I am? Because we never talked about that. I like horror films. I don't know the way you <laughs> like it, but I like horror films. Anyway, so yeah, our listeners are going to be really happy. They're going to be excited. And thank you for all the questions that you have sent to us so we can ask mm-hmm. our listeners. So yeah, as we bring our, our episode to a close, we do have a whole bunch of uh, listener interaction-based items that Nightingale put together. So take it away, Night. Yeah, uh, your favorite horror films. You have Dawn of the Dead, The Thing, Don't Breathe, The Babadook, The Exorcist. Mm. Favorite 80s film is Ghostbusters, Back to the Future, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Good choices. And this was a really good question. Like, have you ever walked out of the movie theater? And a hundred, a lot of people have said yes. No one gave me a reason, but my reason was like, they were a bunch of noisy preteens. So I got security to come and get them. Mm. And I got a free movie ticket refund. So it was good. I, uh... One, <laughs> sorry sorry go ahead oh no 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 i, I was i was done <laughs> you were I saying? Was saying the only film i've ever walked out of and there's another one I'll, i'm going to talk about the micro rant i walked out of touching the void now this is it's uh it was just basically it was sold as a piece of fiction but it's actually a documentary slash fiction about this uh ice climber and i i hated it something that completely disconnected with me I give everyone at least five minutes when I watch a film, whether it's on TV, a TV show, I'll give you five or six minutes and you should hook someone in straight away. And I absolutely hated it. And because I worked in the cinema, I think that's the reason I, but yeah, I can justifiably walk out. But the other one, which I should have walked out on, was made by the greatest filmmaker ever, ever, 
with Steven Spielberg and Indiana Jones the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull oh dear lord that movie I, I I've never been so angry in my life I feel I felt um, like not violated but I felt as though I'd been yeah I don't care what you've liked of mine in the past I'm going to give you a crap film that's what it felt like because everything was CG it was swinging in the trees with the monkeys it was the casting of Shia LaBeouf now, I like Shia LaBeouf in some things but he was shocking in this well, at least he apologized I, the, for it. <laughs> exactly, and then the and then the I, Harrison Ford is an icon. Love him to bits. Love him in What Lies Beneath. We all love him as Han Solo. We all love him as Indy. But in that, it was like the crack of the whip. Everything was slow, and it was it was just so it was so bad. I was devastated, and having aliens at the end. Spoiler alert! I don't care because it's so bad. It's I was I was mortified by the film. I was really quite devastated about it. And I was, I, I was seething. I was like this. I was like vibrating like that girl in uh, Paranormal Activity in the corner of the room. Oh Lord! <laughs> I, was so, I was so frustrated, and I, I, I went on to this massive tirade when I left the cinema. And I've never been so disappointed in Steven Spielberg since the film. Well, I, uh, I will say that uh, <laughs> I was equally disappointed in that movie. But uh, as I've told you before, I think on social media, I, uh, I, I try not to walk out even if I'm hating what I'm watching. Uh, Mortal Kombat 2 was the worst movie, in my opinion, that I've ever watched in a theater, ever. And uh, I, I didn't walk out of that. But the movie I did walk out of, because I've done it once, was one of the Bourne movies. And it's not because it's bad. I Something about the cinematography in every single Bourne movie has made me puke. I, it's it's, uh, it's Paul Greengrass and his cinematographer. That handheld thing, it's all him. It's probably the second film, second or third film. Yeah, it's one of, it was definitely one, it's a second or a third, but yeah, like, I, every time I go into a Bourne movie, I come out of it puking and I can't, I can't take them. Like, I want to watch them. I know they're generally decent, but I, I, I yeah, there, there was one movie I just, I left because I, I, I couldn't go back in. I was so sick. I was in the washroom. My wife came. I was yeah. like, are, are you okay? I'm like, we have to go home. And that was walking out for me. What you'll, what you'll know now, basically, in, in, a, in a slightly different way, but in Deadpool and a lot of movies, they put fake handheld in. So it'll be on a tripod. They'll put a filter on. And it'll seem like handheld, but it's not. And in Deadpool, they actually did this as well on certain sequences. Uh. When you watch uh, Paul Greengrass's films, and he made United 93 about one of the down planes during 9-11, which was fantastic. Uh, his handheld stuff, it's, it's really, I, I like some of it. But now there's this huge trend to handheld. That when you see a series and there's someone talking like, it's a comedy show, they're talking over a kitchen table. Camera's going to be doing that. Yep. A lot of that is it's AI that's choosing the shot and doing the movement. It's uh, not necessarily the camera operator. And I'm sick of the look because it's not a documentary. You're making a series about a, a, a family or something. Yeah. And it's very forced. And Paul Greengrass is one of the reasons for that. I like some of his stuff, uh, but yeah, it's, it's not a good look sometimes. So just... Uh... As we bring this to a close, Hellbound Film Festival, how can people connect with it? How can people hear about it? How can people stay connected with it? So uh, the best thing is to go on the uh, Instagram account. It's Hellbound Horror Festival. And uh, the website is Hellbound Horror Festival. On Twitter, because it's limited characters, it's Hellbound Fest. And then on Facebook, it's Hellbound Horror Festival. Uh, Amazing. And 
yeah, so it's it's everywhere. Um, it's a bit lightweight at the moment because it's really kind of launching on the 1st of August. Right. All right. And how can people connect with you? Uh, so the best way is at Alexander Blackburn uh, on Instagram. Wonderful. Alex, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for all the hard work you put into your, your festivals. Uh, it's, it's really thank inspiring. Thank you for asking our audience questions. Mm-hmm. Thank I love you that. For, I love that. Really appreciate it. It's just... Uh, it's amazing what to meet people like you, you know, who want to give back to the community, who want to support the community, who want to celebrate the community. And, uh, and, and again, once again, thank you again for being here with us and to speaking with us because this, this in and of itself is supporting the arts community. You're supporting two artists here trying to make something, you know, create a piece of art. So we really appreciate it. We love no, people like you. No, I really appreciate that. And, uh, more power to the both of you. You're lovely people. And I've just got to say, anyone watching, Nightingale's shot is too well lit. So something <laughs> scary is about to happen. Like the, the lights are going to flash on and off and someone's going to appear. <laughs> <laughs> there All go. right. Oh, there she goes. <laughs> <laughs> See oh, oh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> she has a mask on from Attack on Titans. No, she's going to eat me. Oh, my God. Ah. That's amazing. All right, Nightingales, <laughs> while, while you have your mask on, how can people connect with you online? Y'all can find me on Instagram at night.win. And I am on Instagram and Twitter as at Michael C.W. Chan. Plus, you can check out my website, which is michaelchan.ca. Listeners, thank you so much for your continued support. We appreciate each and every one of you. And uh, we'll have another episode for you very soon. So until then, stay home, stay safe, and stay, stay hungry. hungry. This has been Talking With Our Mouthful with Michael Chan and Nightingale Nguyen, the music by bensound.com. If you enjoyed this episode, why don't you join us on Instagram and Twitter at at TWMF Podcast. We have a lot of bonus content like food pics, behind the scenes shenanigans, and more info about all the places Michael and Nightingale visit. And if you haven't already, please subscribe. A new episode comes out every two weeks. Thanks again for listening and stay hungry.